Welcome to Episode 9 in the fourth season of Justice with John Carpe, the podcast from the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. I'm the show's producer, Kevin Steele, and with me today is our host, John Carpe, who is the president and founder of the Center. Well, we've said it before, and we'll say it again. No government will take away your rights without promising you something in return. More often than not, it will be a promise of safety. That was the big lie during the COVID panic. Give up all your charter rights and we'll keep you safe from this virus. Oh, and by the way, if you start to feel safe, why then, as WhatsApp conversations of England's former health secretary, Matt Hancock, are now revealing, they'll deploy a new variant to frighten the pants off the public and take away more rights. They'll keep you safe. Now, with everything returning to normal, those who want to continue to take away your rights are reverting back to canards used prior to the panic. They want to keep us safe from hatred, from racism, from misogynists, from the far right, etc., etc. Lately, there's been a lot of focus on Calgary, which has become something like ground zero for the culture war in North America. A lot of that focus began with the arrests of pastors in the area during the COVID panic and the strange behavior of the Calgary police at that time, doing things like taking down teenagers on outdoor ice rinks to keep us safe, captured on video that went viral. Now the Calgary municipal government has taken strides to keep the streets safe. John, you live and work in Calgary. Tell us, what is your municipal government doing to make the streets safe for all Calgarians? Well, everybody's big on safety, even in Calgary. Let me read something from the City of Calgary website, okay? Okay. Quote, The impacts of free speech have lasting effects for individuals, both emotionally and psychologically. The right of every Canadian to express her opinion in a peaceful manner is a cultural and intergenerational issue that is prevalent in society as an expression of power. Free expression restricts safe access to public spaces for victims and forces victims to alter their behavior out of fear, anxiety, and other psychological and physical harms. The Charter's protection for free expression creates imbalanced power dynamics and inequality, disproportionately impacting affected groups at higher risk of being targeted. This is why the City of Calgary has taken actions to remove free expression from our streets, so our streets will be safer for everyone. End of quote. Oh, John, really? Is that what the city of Calgary actually says? <laughs> um, almost. What I just read is from their website, except what I did was I, wherever they said, quote, street harassment, end of quote, I put in free speech, uh, the right of every Canadian to express her opinion in a peaceful manner, free expression, the charter's protection for free expression, <laughs> so because so what what it says i'll read the actual quote from the city's website but basically they've said that expressing your opinion constitutes harassment so there's from the city of calgary website street harassment the impacts of harassment have lasting effects for individuals both emotionally and psychologically street harassment is a cultural and intergenerational issue that is prevalent in society as an expression of power it restricts safe access to public spaces for victims and forces them to alter their behavior out of fear, anxiety, and other psychological and physical harms. Street harassment creates imbalanced power dynamics and inequality, disproportionately impacting affected groups at higher risk of being targeted. This is why the City of Calgary has taken actions to make our streets safer for everyone. End of quote. So this okay. is a lot of social justice warrior, progressive, equity, diversity, inclusion, gobbledygook. It's interesting. They don't even define what street harassment is, although later on they say that um, harassment is to communicate with somebody else in a manner that could reasonably cause offense or humiliation. So, Is that their definition or is that a criminal code thing or what is that? The city of Calgary says that harass to harass is to communicate with a person and that could be conduct comment or actions communicate with a person in a manner that could reasonably cause offense or humiliation end of quote 
So it doesn't even have to cause actual offense or humiliation, but just that it could reasonably cause offense or humiliation. Totally subjective. But before I get into the bylaw specifically, uh, let me get back to this whole power dynamics thing, okay? So here, without really defining street harassment, it says that it has lasting effects on individuals emotionally, psychologically. It's a cultural and intergenerational issue that is prevalent in society as an expression of power. This is what social justice warriors, everything's about power. It's neo-Marxist. So the old Marxism said that society is all about class struggle and it's all about power and power is held by the capitalist exploitative uh, bourgeoisie oppressing the uh, working class proletariat. And so it's a good versus evil. The, the proletariat, the working class is good. The bourgeoisie is evil. And so the proletariat has to rise up and crush the capitalists, and then that will usher in a utopia. And it's a very unnuanced, <laughs> very simplistic analysis of all of society. Everything's about class struggle. And of course, it just doesn't make much sense when you think about maybe a, a registered nurse who is uh, earning a pretty decent income, unionized, uh, paid for by tax dollars, and a small businessman who is you know, may or may not have staff, might be earning less than the nurse. I mean, the whole society and the economy is very complex, but the Marxist analysis was very black and white. Uh, it's that, that there, there's class struggle and there's this warfare between two groups. And so it takes the emphasis away from our common humanity, right? So Marxists do not want the capitalists and the bourgeoisie to see each other as human beings who have dignity, who should respect each other, they don't see the human heart as being the place where there's always a war between good and evil. Uh, the war between good and evil is outside of ourselves, uh, say the Marxists. It is between the, the rich and the poor. It's between the exploiters and the exploited. Now, the social justice warriors are neo-Marxists. They're not fixated necessarily on economic inequality, although that's part of the analysis. You know, they do they do think that rich exploit the poor, but. It's the same class warfare concept, except now instead of capitalist bourgeoisie versus working class proletariat, it is males are oppressing females and straight people are oppressing gays and light skinned people or white people are suppressing dark skinned people and non trans people are oppressing trans people. And the, uh, I guess the, the, the non handicapped are oppressing the handicapped. And so everything's about power. And now you see this right here on the City of Calgary website, quote, street harassment is a cultural and intergenerational issue that is prevalent in society as an expression of power, end of quote. But now, and we've heard this in other quarters, you know, speech is, it, it, it is all about power, right? So mm -hmm. I've seen this on Twitter and on the internet where they're saying that, you know, males uh, are not allowed to speak because they're privileged or white people are not allowed to speak because white people are privileged. And it's the same Marxist denial of the individual dignity and individual humanity of each person. It's like, you're not a human being. You're a member of an oppressed or oppressor group. Hang on. Are you saying that Calgary is being run by neo-Marxists right now? Well, the website certainly is. I mean, I don't want to say that the, uh, I don't want to say that that the mayor and councillors necessarily, although I'm, I think many of them do buy into this social justice warrior type of thing. I mean, the, the mayor, uh, Giotti Gondek, has been quite outspoken in favor of uh, censoring speech on the streets of the city of Calgary. And as you said at the opening of the show, right, governments never take away your rights and freedoms without offering a good reason. So Mayor Gondek wants to censor Calgarians in the name of protecting us from, quote, harassment. Well, this, of course, is pegged to recent events, and I think maybe we should probably introduce those at some point to kind of clarify why we're talking about this right now. Maybe you could uh, tell us a little bit about that. Uh, this is uh, this is actually something that I think they put in place last year, but now it's starting to be applied, and uh, we're starting to see things happen. Yeah, these changes were made in uh, uh, as of June 1st, 2022, so we're, we're at approximately eight or nine months past that time. 
So the bylaw says uh, no person shall harass another person in any public place on pain of a $500 fine. Definition, harass means to communicate with a person in a manner that could reasonably cause offense or humiliation, including conduct, comment, or action that refers to the person's race, religious beliefs, color, disability, age, ancestry, place of origin, marital status, source of income, family status, gender, gender identity, gender expression, sexual orientation, and includes a sexual solicitation or advance. Now, the word there, includes, is interesting. So this is not limited only to prohibiting comments that may directly or indirectly refer to a person's race, religious beliefs, color, disability, age, ancestry, uh, gender, gender identity, gender expression, sexual orientation, etc. It's not only that. Uh, it could be anything, anything that could reasonably cause offense or humiliation. So what if you are an animal rights activist and you think that nobody should wear real fur? Uh, everybody should wear, you know, if you want to wear fur, you should get fake fur, uh, but you shouldn't have a real fur coat. And what if they go peacefully protest outside of a store uh, in Calgary that sells furs? I don't know if lockdowns uh, and the economic destruction have shut these places down. I know in the past there were places in Calgary that there were stores that sold furs. So um, let's say that these stores are still in business. So let's say the protester stands outside and says, you know, shame on you. You're murdering innocent animals and uh, the, the trap lines are cruel and... Uh, you're on the wrong side of history. And now what if the store owner or employees feel offended or humiliated? Well, I guess they can go file a complaint with the police and say, well, I feel offended and humiliated because these protesters outside are communicating that the uh, killing animals to, to make fur coats is, is morally wrong. So I feel uh, offended and humiliated. Yes, but I'm going to accuse you of using logic here, John, and probably, you know, some sort of equivalence because we know that's not how the culture war is fought. The way the culture war is fought is you only go after your enemies and uh, everybody else on your side gets a pass. So this is, uh, I think, probably the technique that's being employed here. Now, of course, lately – it was brought in, I believe, or the mayor at some point said, I think in December, that they were going to use this harassment law in order to go after protesters that were protesting the drag queen shows and the readings in public libraries and things like that that have been uh, the subject of news all over North America for the last year or so. So I, I think that, that uh, I use that to demonstrate my point, right? You know, that's where it's being used at the moment. Yeah, so we have uh, on uh, Tucker Carlson on Fox News, within the last few days, there's discussion of a pastor, Derek Reimer, and I will talk about that briefly. I will preface it to say my, my knowledge of this matter is limited only to what I have seen on media reports on the internet. Uh, allegedly, apparently, there's a video clip that I, that sort of like the, the common element of every news report, including uh, Fox News and and other what's on Twitter. The only video clip that seems to be out there that I've seen is a video clip showing this Pastor Derek Reimer getting physically ejected out of a room and kind of tossed on the floor. And then sometime thereafter, so he goes back home and then the same day or the following day or, you know, two days later, the police show up at his um, home and they arrest him and I think it's uh, I think the criminal charges were uh, ca causing a disturbance. So there is a criminal code provision for for causing a disturbance. And like every other criminal code uh, provision, there's lots of case law that interprets specifically what that means and what it covers and what it does not cover. And um, so I don't know I don't know if the criminal charges carry weight or not. I don't know what Pastor Derek Reimer did in terms of his protest. It's really complicated because the library is a public space, but you don't necessarily have the same rights to protest in every space that is a public space just because it's a public space. So for example, courts are a public place and members of the public can walk into any courtroom where you know, whether it's a 
criminal proceedings or uh, civil proceedings of people suing each other or family law, whatever the proceedings are, you can walk into court. And then during the lockdowns, many courts were unfortunately closed and uh, even partially open by Zoom, but really not running at full capacity, which was, which was very sad. Um, Now you have a right to go into a courtroom and observe. You do not have a right to scream or shout or uh, carry banners or, or placards or signs or, or protest or express your opinions. So it's a public place, but you can't necessarily protest. And I, I agree with that, by the way. I, I think you know, we, have, we have different rules for different places. You know, same way that maybe a house of worship will have its own rules and standards. And they'll say, well, people, members of the public are welcome to come into our house of worship. But you know, if it's a Sikh temple, you must cover your head. You do not go into a Sikh temple uh, without covering your head. And they, you know, if, if you want to try that I th- legally, they could throw you out. And I'd say th- th- they'd be right to do so because that's it, it's their property. So there's different rules apply to different places. I don't know, uh, unless I do a lot of legal research, I don't know what the rules are about a public protest inside a library. In addition to this pastor, uh, I received an email from uh, somebody else in Calgary uh, who says, quote, after attending an all-ages drag event protest, the police followed me to a Tim Hortons where they falsely accused me of trespassing and failing to provide my ID to a non-existent security guard. They then arrested me and slammed me into the Tim's door and onto the cement. To cover their actions, they also charged me with resisting arrest. I was made to spend 24 hours in prison on top of a $500 bail. Okay, uh, name withheld. I have not verified this. This is an email I received, so it, it, it says what it says. Uh, but this is interesting that uh, this protester apparently was not arrested at the event, at the drag queen event. Uh, she was not arrested there. Uh, she says the police followed her to a Tim Hortons and then accused her of, of trespassing. So I don't know even whether she was charged with violating the Calgary bylaw. But here's the problem with the bylaw. The bylaw is politicized, right? Remember we talked about the fur example, right? Would, uh, mm. would the police uh, issue a $500 ticket to animal rights protesters that are peacefully expressing their opinions on a public sidewalk denouncing the uh, fur selling store would police do that my guess would be no they'd say no that's this is free expression and it's a free country and if you're peacefully expressing your views on a on a public sidewalk then you know if the uh if the sellers and traders of of uh, fur coats feel offended or humiliated they just need to suck it up because that's what living in a free society is all about you just have to suck it up now if you're uh protesting the sexualization of children through drag queen events, well, then uh, I think you're more likely to, to get the ticket. So it's politicized. It's, the, it's, it's now it is the Calgary police have to exercise this incredibly subjective discretion as to, you know, what kinds of speech are they going to crack down on? And I can see a charter challenge arising from this at some point. Can you? Yeah, certainly the Justice Center would, uh, would support the, an individual that um, was charged with violating this bylaw. Because once you're charged under the bylaw, you automatically have standing to challenge that bylaw. And you can go into court and say, Yes, I did uh, say, you know, I did hold up a sign that says, stop sexualizing our children. I did hold up that sign on, you know, Tuesday, the 14th of the month at this location. And I admit those facts. However, this bylaw itself is, is an unjustified restriction of my charter freedom of expression. So we would be uh, favorable to finding the right client uh, and the right fact scenario. And of course, in choosing our cases, we're always looking for the best possible clients and and the best possible fact scenarios. So uh, it's not necessarily every individual that we would say yes to. It's got to be the best possible clients and the best possible facts. 
How do you see this in the, I guess, the larger picture? You'd referenced that uh, Fox News story, and that actually was a Tucker Carlson opening that he talked about the greater cultural war, uh, called it actually, I think, a war on Christianity, I think. Uh, others have called it sort of a war on religion because other places in the world are experiencing kind of like the same thing, but they're not necessarily Christian. So there's been a lot of focus on Calgary, of course, as I mentioned in my intro, you know, that uh, because, they, you know, there's pastors were arrested there during the pandemic and things like that. Now we've got this uh, Pastor Derek Reimer and this bylaw, of course. So, but I, I disagree. I mean, I, I think I think there is definitely an anti-religious sen- sentiment that is probably growing when you see, for example, in the province of British Columbia, the chief medical officer, Bonnie Henry, shuts down houses of worship entirely for months on end while allowing restaurants and gyms and all these other liquor, liquor stores, can, cannabis stores, you know, every imaginable place uh, can be open with 15% capacity and provided that they follow utterly unscientific, stupid, useless, and, and ridiculous regulations that have now been thoroughly discredited on, you know, the hand sanitizing and social distancing and mask wearing, whatever. But the rule was, if, if you follow these stupid unscientific regulations, you can be open at 15% capacity, but not churches. Churches have to be closed entirely. Well, that is just anti-religious bigotry. Where, 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 where's the science on that? You got six strangers sitting together at a restaurant table. They're not going to spread COVID, but you get six people from different households together in a church sitting further apart than what they would be at a, t- at a restaurant table. And somehow they're going to spread the virus. I mean, zero science. So I think there is a problem in Canada today with anti-religious bigotry. When it comes to the drag queen protests, uh, it's not just religious people. There are people that are, you know, they're not Christians or Muslims or Jews or anything else. And they don't want children sexualized what becomes really, really complicated, though, at least two things. One is that you know libraries are a, a public space and they can rent rooms. Uh, they have many libraries in Canada have rooms available for rent, so you could be a community group of whatever kind, and you say we'd like to you know pay twenty dollars or fifty dollars or ten dollars, whatever, we'll pay the fee, and we'd like to rent the room from seven p.m. to eight p.m. next Tuesday evening. And you pay the fee and you get the room. This has caused controversies in the past where there are uh, groups that are accused of being racist. And maybe some of them are racist. I don't know. But, you know, based on based on as much as an accusation. And then the library is, uh, you know, what do they do? It's a public space. They've received the $20 from a group. Uh, is the library supposed to uphold some, you know, community standard against racism? Real life example, we had Megan Murphy in Vancouver speaking at the Vancouver Public Library because of the same, same idea there, right? That the library is a taxpayer funded public space. So different groups can rent. It's open to, supposed to be open to all groups to rent out the space. But then it's like you get these protesters against Megan Murphy, who is who's a feminist, called a trans-exclusionary radical feminist, a TERF. So she says that women are women because they are biologically women. And so a guy who feels like he's a woman and thinks that he's a woman is not a woman. And he should not be allowed to go into women's locker rooms and change rooms or female-only sporting events, etc. So that's, she probably articulates it better than I do, but that's how I would describe her opinion. And she gets told, well, there's no TERFs are hateful. And there's no space for hate. And the Vancouver Public Library uh, should not be promoting hate or condoning hate by, you know, the speaker. So the problem with the, the challenge with the drag queens reading in the library, at least two levels. On, on one level, you could say that the only parents that are taking their kids to the drag queen story time hour are parents who want their own kids Oh, whether three years old, five, seven, 12, whatever, they, they want their own kids to see uh, and be exposed to a drag queen. And then that, that of course, becomes a question of parental authority. I'm, I support parental authority. I don't agree with all decisions made by all parents, but I guess if there's some parents that want their five-year-old to see uh, a man dressed up as a woman uh, at the age of five in person, up close, 
am reading a book, I guess I have to respect if if I believe in parental rights, I have to respect that and say, okay, you want to expose your kid to uh, to that. All of my kids are much older than five, but I, I wouldn't expose any of my kids at any age to that. But and that's my choice as a parent. So you've got a parental rights, parental authority thing there. But then on a different level, what if you are a parent and you do not want your child to get exposed to a guy dressed up as a woman and acting, behaving like a woman? You don't want your child to be exposed to that. So you want your safe space in the library. So when you take your kids to the library on a Saturday to return some books and borrow some new books, you don't want your kids exposed to a drag queen. What about that? You know, and I use the term safe space, which I, I've i been upset with universities for decades because they use the excuse safe space. So does Mayor Gondek of Calgary. She wants the streets to be a safe space. Therefore, if you express your opinion and it causes somebody to feel, if, there, if, it, if it could reasonably result in somebody feeling offended or humiliated, you have to shut up and risk a $500 fine. Why? Because we want the streets to be a safe space. Now here, here am I saying, well, the library should be a safe space for young children so that if parents are walking in with their children to uh, borrow books, that they should, they should have, they should be able to feel confident that they're not going to have a drag queen that their kids are exposed to some dude dressed up like a woman, you know, trying to act and talk like a woman. Very complicated. It is, yeah. Actually, I'm going to just make a few comments and do a little reporting here, actually, because something just popped up in the old Twitter feed here. Uh, This is a tweet uh, by somebody that calls themselves Vitamin D, and she's asking, why are drag queens allowed in the athlete's village? This is referring to the 2023 Youth Games in Prince Edward Island. Why are drag queens allowed in the athlete's village? Parents aren't. The youngest child there is 10 and the oldest is 17. I spoke to parents of athletes this morning who were livid because they had no idea until until he received a picture from his son. <laughs> Anyways, you know, I mean, that's an interesting, I guess, twist on it. The, the other observation I wanted to make, uh, because you had talked about people having the right to bring their kids, I, I wanted to talk about this protest against uh, one of those drag queen story hours in Idaho. I don't know if you heard about this. This was in the Marshall Public Library in Pocatello in Bannock County, southwestern Idaho. What the uh, public did there is uh, they filled up all the library spaces with adults, a lot of senior citizens and uh, uh, parents, that kind of thing. So there's no kids in there. So. The idea was it's a public space and we're just going to take up all the seats and no kids can get in because it's all full. And Mm. so, uh, you know, this was, uh, I guess, a way of using that idea of public space to protest uh, in a way that isn't, I would say, loud or harassing. You simply just taking it, you know. Bums yeah, well, if, if, it, if it's an all-ages drag queen event, then uh, yes, yeah, show up early and have the have all the adults go in there and and take every space. And I mean, that's fair. It's first come, first serve, right? And if it's all ages, it's whoever gets there first. So, drag queens in libraries reading stories is complicated because do you ban something because it's unpopular in some quarters? And if yes, then, you know, was, was the Vancouver library uh, correct in trying to censor Megan Murphy? By the way, that was a Justice Center case. So we acted for Megan Murphy. We wrote mm-hmm. a strongly worded letter to the Vancouver Public Library on her behalf. And I think, I, I, don't, I don't remember the details now. We probably threatened court action. At the end of the day, the event was allowed to go ahead. We may have reached some compromise on the security fees issue, right? This is what the University of Alberta did. They said to uh, pro-life students, yes, oh, by all means, yeah, well, we believe in free speech. And you can set up a pro-life display on, on campus, provided that you just pay this teensy-weensy little $17,500 security fee, which effectively the security fee is used to silence students. Students cannot come up with $17,500. Most adults couldn't, right? So that's not free speech. If you blame the 
person who wants to speak as somehow being responsible for an unsafe environment when the truth is it's the violent counter protesters who are the only source of threat to safety and you know if anybody should be paying $17,500 for security fees it should be the counter protesters who are violent and disruptive and will use physical force those are the people who should pay security fees not the person who's trying to express his opinion so i don't remember the details on the megan murphy at the Vancouver Public Library, uh, I, I don't recall whether we paid, whether our site, Megan and her supporters, whether we paid for security fees or not. The event did go ahead. So what I'm trying to say is it's not that simple to say, well, somebody's unpopular, so they're not allowed to use the library or speak in the library. So what would be the basis I asked the question open in it, what would be the basis for saying that drag queens should not be reading stories to children in public libraries? And I guess you could you could say, well, we want to protect children from harm. But then what do we say that what do we say if somebody says, well, the likes of TERFs, trans exclusionary radical feminists like Megan Murphy, their speech is harmful to children because children should not be exposed to that kind of hate speech. You know, it becomes like, it becomes really problematic and, and difficult in terms of, uh, and then you say, okay, so does, does the public library maybe say that uh, the only thing that they do is they, they have books available and you can borrow the books and return the books and, and that's it. And there's, there's no activities for anybody. And then the public libraries stop renting out, rooms and and no longer rent themselves out as a facility to anybody. But then I think society is less rich because that means that there are fewer venues available because a a library is a, you know, it's a good place for different community groups to to have a place where they can go to and use it. But what do you think of the argument that what you're doing is adopting their language for the debate and therefore you're going to lose. Why don't you put the onus on them to say, no, this isn't hate speech. You are redefining hate speech here. And so you really have no basis in reality to make that argument because you've redefined the term. Well, are you talking now about the city of Calgary bylaw or are you talking about just the whole idea in general? You know, I mean, when you get into, when you get into adopting their language, Aren't you really conceding the argument? I've heard that. I've heard this. Uh, I think. Before. I think there's a different. I think there's a difference between getting exposed to ideas that you might find offensive when you're in a city park or on a public sidewalk, uh, you know, walking down the street, and you see somebody that's expressing an opinion that you find offensive, right? And that, whatever that opinion is, I mean, maybe somebody's talking about. Uh, you know, lockdowns or vaccine passports or abortion or climate change or taxes or Aboriginal rights or, you know, whatever. Uh, It is a normal human reaction that you could feel upset. If you see or hear somebody else saying, like conveying a message that you vehemently disagree with, it's emotionally upsetting. That's a normal human reaction. The idea in the free society is that you rise above that and say, well, as long as the method is peaceful, so they're they're not expressing their views by punching you in the face, as long as it's a peaceful method, you suck up your negative feelings. But I think there's a difference between parents taking their children to the library and not wanting their kids to see a man dressed up as a woman reading stories. But then that also begs the question, okay, so if there is a guy who dresses up as a woman, should those people be barred from the library? I would say no. Uh, If you're a dude who wants to put on makeup and wear a dress, I, I don't I, I don't think that should prevent you from going into a library. But then if it's a formal event and you're reading stories to kids. You gotta remember it's not just stories that parents are objecting to. It's also the content of some of these stories and some of the books that are in libraries as well, you know, and uh, the books that go into libraries in schools as well. It's kind of a larger issue, I guess. It's not that particular. I mean, we started off this program talking about the street harassment issue, but it kind of fits into this whole larger culture war that has many aspects to it. So, I mean, that's, uh, you know, is this going to be something that we have to 
have the courts rule on every section, you know? I mean, does we have to start with harassment law and sort of work our way back here? It's a huge, the underlying problem is that our society is culturally, religiously, politically very fragmented, and that causes these big fights over public spaces, which even 20 years ago would have been far less frequent, and 50 years ago would have been unheard of. I don't think 50 years ago there would have been any dispute. I think society was more homogenous. I mean, yeah, people had different opinions on on different issues. That's sort of par for the course throughout human history, but but not the same, you know, cultural chasms that we see today. I'd venture a guess that 50 years ago there there were never conflicts about some group renting a room at the library and then other people you know, hearing about it and and protesting and saying, well, they should not be allowed to use that public space. It never happened. Same thing with the, with the school system. In the 40s and 50s, and even right into the 60s, there's a very, very strong societal consensus on sexuality. And the vast majority of, of people, probably unthinkingly for the most part, but whether thinkingly or unthinkingly, the vast majority of Canadians in the 40s and 50s, and I would argue even through all the way through to 1970, most people believe very strongly that sex outside of marriage was wrong, that uh, gay sex was unnatural, unhealthy, immoral, or, you know, one or more of those three. Just a big consensus that, you know, every child deserved a mother and a father and that divorce was, uh, was, was wrong or immoral. You have this very strong consensus on issues of marriage and family and sexual morality. Well, today it's very divergent. You've got quite the spectrum. You would have people in Canada today, in particular, uh, practicing Christians, uh, traditionalist Catholics, Orthodox Jews, uh, practicing Muslims, uh, and also some non-religious people who would say that, you know, sex is, is only for within a marriage of a man and a woman. So that there are definitely many Canadians that have that perspective that used to be the majority opinion, even probably close to 100% consensus if you go back 60 or 70 years. So those people are still there. You have other people who disagree completely and say that, you know, look, as long as sex is consensual, then that's the only prerequisite. And it, it could be people who are married or not married, people, two people of the opposite sex, two people of the same sex. You know, it doesn't matter as long as it's consensual. And you have other people that might be, you know, a little bit more middle of the road and they say, well, you know, you don't need to be married per se, but you should be in a committed relationship, you know, and so you have the middle of the road. So there's just one example, but on, on so many issues, society is very fragmented. That's where we get into this practical problem. And I, I do not have the answer about a, say like a public library. Are we going to say yes to Megan Murphy? Are we going to say yes to a group that is accused fairly or unfairly of being racist? Are we going to say yes to drag queens? Like what, what is the standard going to be and what is it going to be based on? And I don't have a simple or easy answer. Maybe you do, well, Kevin. What do you what what should be the standard for for public libraries in terms of what they allow inside their their premises? Well, I don't think we have to start there necessarily. Yes, we can say it's fragmented, but I mean really what we're arguing about is what is not allowed and that is the that's why you started off with this whole free expression thing, right? You know, uh, just because a group is no longer in the majority and there's a fragmented consensus, does that mean that that group that is no longer in the majority, their opinion has to be completely squelched? Nobody can hear it now? You go to jail if you express that opinion? I don't think that's... that's well, the public sidewalk, so. yeah. So a public sidewalk is very different from a library, I think. Um, I think well, that's that's probably where we differ. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I would say that you know, yeah, you uh, you can uh, you can protest inside a public library as well. So as long as you're not uh, you know breaking things or being violent, that's uh, to me it's, it's not, not like a courtroom. But I, I disagree. I think in the same way that a courtroom is a public place where. Uh, you know, legal proceedings are held in public, uh, and there's good reason for that. We don't want secret 
legal proceedings, especially not in the realm of criminal law. Uh, there are many countries where you could be arrested and then there's a secret trial and, you know, something's announced. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, we had this trial and person was found guilty. You know, it, it, it's a transparency and accountability issue to have these matters be public. And um, but so a courtroom is a public place, but it's not appropriate inside a courtroom for people to hold up banners or to be uh, to be vocal, to be protesting. I think it's reasonable for the library as a public place to have a rule of silence that inside the library is not where you congregate to uh, express your, you know, political, social, moral views uh, about issues. I think the library is within its rights to say that uh, th this is a quiet place and uh, you allow people to quietly browse and, and uh, you know, pick out what books they want to borrow. What complicates it is, is that the, the, the library itself is sponsoring a political event. I don't think many would disagree that drag queen story reading time is a political event. And also, and maybe I'm starting to get a bit of clarity myself, that's, that's different from just a room rental. If it was some group that said, we want to rent a room and kind of hold it in event, and the room will be ours and it will be our event in this room. And we're going to have a drag queen that's going to read stories. And we're going to invite parents to go into that room. That's an out of the way thing. If the drag queen is reading inside the library, so not in some uh, private room that's within the library building, but it's inside the library itself, I think that's different than the drag queens renting a room and then inviting people to go out of their way to go into that room to take part in the reading. So maybe, okay. maybe it's reasonable to say libraries should not be hosting political events. I mean, would the library host a church service if there's some pastor said, I want to go in and, you know, uh, I won't be too loud, but, you know, I'll, I'll take a guitar and I'll sing some gospel songs and I'll preach a gospel message. Would a library allow a religious event? And I'm talking about in the library itself. I'm not talking about a separate room rental, right? That's, that's different. Uh, I think if there is a, uh, church group. And in fact, there are many church groups that they're just starting out and they're small and they don't have their own church building and they're looking for rooms to rent. And I, I'm sure that there are many libraries all over Canada that are, you know, have rented and are renting rooms to religious groups, but that's different. A room rental, it, it's out of the way and you're not really exposed to what goes on in that room unless you choose to kind of follow, follow the signs about, you know, there's this church meeting or drag queen story time thing and you go into that room on purpose. So maybe that's the issue there that, that the libraries should not have a uh, political event or a religious event in the main part of the library. If we look at a similar situation, I know this happened a few years ago, quite a bit. You know, we had these speeches on campus and people would go speak there. Uh, ben Shapiro comes to mind, you know, and there would be this huge protest and people would be barring the doors and people would be grabbing the mic and, you know, there'd be this big tussle that went on. Uh, that was a free speech issue. That was where people rented the room. To me, that's, that is sort of the equivalent of uh, uh, renting the room, right? We have this space. We're also on campus, which is supposed to be sort of a free speech area. Nothing that Nothing says to me that it, that a public library is necessarily a free speech area, you know, and, and if you want to talk about causing a disturbance, you might say that, well, the drag queen story hour is causing a disturbance to people that don't want to see that, right? So that, that I guess, is, you know, the definition of the space uh, is probably at the heart of the issue as well. I, it's a roundabout way of sort of agreeing with you. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's a fair point that you, what, what do you expect – at a university campus, you expect all viewpoints to be aired, and if you if you disagree with it, well, that's too bad. Either you engage in debate, or you you move you be on your way and you ignore it, but you don't shut down any viewpoint on campus. But you expect there to be uh, speakers and events and people talking and people expressing their views. You expect that at a university, the library space. You expect to be able to go in there and 
look at, you know, return the books that you've borrowed and wander about, maybe use one of their lovely, helpful computers to, to see what they have on file. You expect to be wandering about and being quiet and taking out books. And that's it. That's what, so you don't expect a political or religious or uh, social, cultural, whatever events inside that library space. So I'd make the argument that uh, if if the library would not be willing to tolerate uh, or, or facilitate a religious service, Christian, Islamic, <laughs> Jewish, Hindu, Sikh, whatever, if you're not going to have a religious service inside a library, uh, again, talking about the main part of the library where there's books, right? Not talking about a separate room rental. Why would you have uh, drag queens reading stories to to children or to people of all ages, because that is a decidedly political event. And I think it's inappropriate for libraries to uh, to be hosting the political event. Back, wow. back to the, uh, <laughs> back to the Calgary bylaw briefly, you know, the, as, as we've gone through this, I mean, it, it's now the discretion of the police, you know, they're going to, probably going to issue the $500 ticket to somebody who's protesting against uh, drag queens reading stories to, to children uh, and probably not going to issue a ticket to somebody that is uh, making the owners and employees of a store that sells fur coats feel offended or humiliated. The other, the other thing that's very disingenuous about this harassment bylaw um, is that it ignores the fact that real harassment, uh, so not just feeling offended by somebody else's speech, but things like screaming, yelling, pushing, shoving, threatening, uh, continuing to follow a person after she or he has told you to stop following, uh, or deliberately getting extremely close to a person uh, that does not warrant it. So, I mean, look, sometimes we're on a crowded elevator or there could be a crowded bus or, or uh, other public transit uh, but in a situation where it's just not necessary to be six inches away from somebody else and you get in their face, okay, all, all of these things are addressed by other laws. Uh, it is a criminal assault to push or shove or hit or punch somebody. Even touching somebody without consent is a criminal assault. Uttering threats to harm a person's life or body or property is criminal. Disturbing the peace by yelling and screaming is a criminal code offense, and it is also contrary to municipal noise bylaws. Section 430 of the criminal code uh, makes it illegal to obstruct, interrupt, or interfere with the lawful use, enjoyment, or operation of property. So it's already a crime to block access to someone going about their business or engaging in legal activities. So <laughs> here's another example where the police are probably not going to issue a ticket to a protester. If there's a Greenpeace protester on a public sidewalk, uh, and if there's an oil company executive who feels humiliated or offended because the Greenpeace protester, you know, is screaming out that uh, the oil and gas industry is, is raping mother earth and, and uh, it's, it's harming the planet. If that oil company executive feels humiliated or offended and complains to the police, do you really think the police are going to issue $500 tickets to the environmentalist protesters? I don't think so. But that's because they appear to be redefining harassment here in their bylaw. And that's why at the beginning you decided to substitute free expression yeah. for harassment. I mean, they're basically taking the terms and they're, they're moving the goalposts around here. Well, there's, like here, here's another example of speech that could make somebody feel humiliated or feel offended. Uh, so when social justice warriors uh, look down on their neighbors whom they regard as morally inferior and they love to say, you know, other people or everybody else is racist and sexist and homophobic and transphobic and white supremacist and, uh, you know, misogynist. And so there's all this uh, ableist and ageist and there's all this name calling. So would Calgary Mayor Giotti Gondek favor prosecuting her woke allies over this kind of name calling. I venture a guess and say, no, she wouldn't want the $500 tickets uh, slapped on to her friends. If her friends make somebody else feel humiliated or offended, 
But, you know, she's tossed this political football into the hands of the police. And from what I've seen myself uh, in observing police and many times representing clients who were negotiating with police or, uh, you know, responding to demands from police, I've had a lot of interactions with police in the last 20 years of advocating for, for charter rights and freedoms. And the, the police often are, they, they tend to err on the side of political correctness and they like to uh, enforce majority opinions. They're not necessarily sympathetic to minority viewpoints. Okay. But that's, that's a movable line, isn't it? That's the problem. Yeah. We have it's not even, it's not even fair to police, right? I mean, oh, yeah. you know, Mayor, Mayor Gondek is, is asking the police to make this very, very subjective judgment call that when somebody feels humiliated or offended, are, are the police going to issue the $500 ticket or not? Yes, I know. And knowing now, since we've publicly declared it, that they're going to get a charter challenge, especially. <laughs> so, <laughs> Well, it's likely, you know, if we find, if we find the right client with the right uh, factual circumstances, we are, uh, you know, there's, there's a good chance we'll take that on. Well, you know, as I'm sure everybody in Canada is aware, there's been a lot of political news over the last little while, particularly involving the prime minister regarding China's influence. Now, here's my problem. I mean, this is a story that I'm intensely interested in because it's something that I've followed through my career as a journalist, and I even wrote uh, a, quite a bit about it back when I was working for the Western Standard. However, you know, we've talked about this in the past. Privately, you and I, you know, the Justice Center is nonpartisan. How far can I go in expressing um, my opinions on you know, this issue, it's a big issue. Everybody wants to talk about it. Well, you, th there's no restraints on you, Kevin, to, if you want to, you know, talk about this on, on uh, <laughs> Twitter or Facebook, or if you've got your own blog or whatever, in terms of the Justice Center areas of interest, our mission is to defend the, uh, the, the, right, the Charter Rights and Freedoms, the constitutional freedoms of Canadian Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. So we defend constitutional freedoms, which uh, include, but but not limited to, the uh, Charter Section 2, freedoms of conscience, religion, expression, association, and peaceful assembly, uh, the right to bodily autonomy, Charter Section 6, mobility rights to travel freely within Canada, freely enter and leave the country. You know, this Chinese communist influence on Canada's election I'd have to think about this, but possibly it could impact the Charter Section 3 right to vote. Charter Section 3 says, every citizen of Canada has the right to vote in an election of members of the House of Commons or of a legislative assembly and to be qualified for membership therein. So legal question or constitutional question would be, is my right to vote or, or Kevin Steele's right to vote or anybody else's right to vote impacted by... Chinese influence on Canadian politics. I'd have to think about that. I guess you could argue yes or no. You could say, well, it doesn't Im does not impact my right to vote because I can go to the voting booth and uh, uh, you know get my ballot and I can vote. Whether China mm -hmm. or any other country is interfering on in elections or not does not impact the right to vote. But I guess you could make the argument that the right to vote should include a state of affairs uh, whereby foreigners are not uh, unduly interfering with the process where foreigners are not uh, exerting negative impact on the elections in Canada. And I guess you can make the argument that my right to vote is negatively impacted by communist Chinese influence in Canadian politics. But then that begs the question, if I went to court to say that my right to my charter section three right to vote has been violated, who would I sue? And would I sue the federal government? And I could only sue the federal government. And now I'm talking about the government as an entity. I'm not talking about the current occupant of the prime minister's office, right? Because that's the federal government and the prime minister, whoever he or she might be at a particular point in time are not the same thing, right? Okay. So could I sue the federal government uh, over 
violating my right to vote? And I guess the answer would be is if yes, if the federal government itself failed to properly address this issue of Chinese communist influence on the political process in Canada. But can I sue somebody if this is a matter of, you know, poor judgment or worse than poor judgment, if it's some sort of, you know, illegal conduct, if there is illegal conduct on the part of the prime minister, does does that give me a cause of action to say that my right to vote has been harmed? I'm not so sure. I would lean towards saying no, uh, if a prime minister or a provincial premier, you know, breaks the law, uh, behaves unethically, that does not impact my right to vote. Okay. Well, in terms of right to vote, I mean, obviously at the beginning there, you were talking about the right to actually go in to a poll, mark your ballot, put it in the ballot box. Okay. That's my right to vote. Is it, but what about the impact of my vote? That's, I guess, what you were trying to define. Yes. You know. Yeah. So the right to vote it would also include that. So, so there are rights that flow from that, right? In the same way, right. you've got Charter Section Seven, you have a right to life, liberty, security of the person. One of the things that flows from life, liberty, security of the person is a right to bodily autonomy. So, I should be allowed to decide without any coercion, duress, fraud, pressure. I should be allowed to decide what medical treatments I receive or not, what what I get injected with or not is my choice. So, there's an outflow. So, the right to vote includes a right to that your vote be meaningful. Okay. Yeah. And, and, if that, it's made- and so that, so there, there is some case law. I haven't looked at it recently, but there is case law on the, on the, the right to vote. And it has been considered, for example, in the, uh, the gag laws that give a monopoly to political parties to determine issues, but exclude citizens groups that are not political parties. So, the right to vote has been considered in in some cases. So is my vote no longer meaningful because of Chinese communist influence in Canadian politics? I guess that would be the question then. Well, I know you could also apply it to a situation, you know, where you've got a discrepancy between the number of people in a riding versus, you know, say in the West of Canada versus the number of people in a riding in the East of Canada. That's another possible, you know, watering down of my vote, making it less meaningful, that type of thing. So I guess this is uh, something that uh, people are going to start looking up now that uh, the evidence is mounting that something did happen. Well, we, and we, we also have to always bear in mind, there's a distinction between a government law or policy versus the misbehavior of a politician, right? So Prime Minister Trudeau was accused of racist behavior because he was putting on blackface at uh, at different events over the years. Well, there's a difference between the behavior of the prime minister or groping some small town reporter and saying that, that that was okay because she was only a small town reporter. You know, if she'd been with the Globe and Mail or the National Post, he wouldn't have groped her. Uh, whatever you, you've got, you can have misconduct. Uh, this could be. I'm not trying to pick on the prime minister. It could be anybody. But if you have some sort of misconduct or lapse in judgment or unethical behavior, that is not a government law or policy that you can challenge in court. So if the Liberal Party of Canada or if if Justin Trudeau was uh, breaking laws and acting illegally in respect of their dealings with with communist China, if that did occur, that is not a government law or policy where you can go into court and say, you know, my charter rights are being violated, right? Right, yeah. You okay. see that distinction? So Yeah, have, I think I got to, it. Yeah, we have to be aware it. of that, right? That if, if, yeah. if the current prime minister and or the liberal party did something unethical or even illegal, if they broke, if they broke a law, you, you challenge a law for because the law violates your charter rights and freedoms. So if there's a law that somehow violates your right to vote, you can go into court and say, I want this law struck down or or changed so that my right to vote is fully respected. That's actually very different from election laws that are broken by corrupt politicians. If that is the case, that doesn't give you, that's not a violation of your charter rights. That's just some politicians doing some bad stuff. Okay. Well, that's clear as mud. <laughs> but anyways, at least we got a 
got to talk about it a little bit. I don't know if it's going to come up again, depending on what people dig up. But uh, yeah, it's fascinating stuff. And I really, uh, I really dug into it. And I can see that uh, by Twitter that just about everybody over the past week is completely fascinated by it. Well, I guess at this point, we can call an end to uh, episode nine of Justice with John Carpe. Thanks a lot, John. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. Talk to you again soon, Kevin. 